It's a corner of the country that offers a unique portal to the north. The ready access to natural splendors like tundra, polar bears, and the northern lights made it a tourism destination. But the lives and livelihoods of the people and animals of Churchill are facing existential risk. I'm Adam Toy. And I'm Dave McIver. And this is Why. When you're inviting the world to a show with no actors and no script, you better make sure the special effects will blow them away. Manitoba, Canada's heart beats. Churchill, Manitoba, on the edge of Hudson Bay, has been advertised as a tourism destination for years. People from around the world would travel to the town of 900 for a chance to see polar bears, beluga, and other Arctic wildlife up close. But when the pandemic hit, a climate change reporter from Winnipeg decided to head north to see how the region was changing. Sarah Larniuk of the Winnipeg Free Press, thank you so much for your time. No problem. So let's talk about Churchill. Before heading up there to do this series that you published in the Winnipeg Free Press, Had you been there, what did you know about the town? I think I probably knew what a lot of people knew about the town. I had never been there. Um, I knew about polar bears. That was pretty much where I started. And obviously polar bears have become this icon for the climate movement. But I also knew that polar bears are far from the only thing that is changing in the Arctic. And so going up there was about exploring all of the other things. I did obviously talk about polar bears. Uh, you can't forget them, but but also all of the other things. I wanted to see what else was changing. And so what was it like when you arrived in Churchill? What, what was that experience like? What did you see? And uh, how did you get there? Because uh, it's my understanding that you can't drive. Uh, so you can't drive to Churchill. In fact, um, you can fly, um, but that's, um, let's just say a bit out of the price range of a little <laughs> newspaper. Um, so I took the train. Um, which is, you know, reasonably priced for anyone who ever wants to get up to Churchill. Um, and yeah, I drove up to Thompson and then from there you have to take the train up. So, and it's, it's a nice, oh, I want to say it was at least 15 hours on the train. Wow. <laughs> so it was, it was something. But getting into the community, um, it was incredible. I think I fell in love with the town the same way that so many of the people who weren't from Churchill but ended up staying there did. It's an incredible community. It's smaller than I thought. I didn't realize that given how famous Churchill is, I didn't realize that it was only 800 people. Uh, But it is a magical place. If if that town had a mascot, it would be polar bears. What what did did you find out about uh, polar bears and how that uh, and what has been happening to them over the past, let's say, four decades. Polar bears, of course, are the and I mean, it's not like if they had a mascot, like they have a big actually they have many um, statues to polar bears in the town, as well as murals. Uh, A few years ago when the rail line went out, they had this community art project and they painted uh, polar bears basically all over the town. It's not that they hide their love of polar bears in any way, shape or form. but Polar bears have had a rough go of it. They're um, an icon of climate change because they are one of the most lovable creatures, most iconic creatures that's attached 
uh, to climate change and the threat that is coming. Um, it depends on who you ask how much the population has declined in the last few years. Each, each government or each researcher will use a different mechanism for counting because obviously you can't go out there and count every single polar bear. But every account of the Western Hudson Bay polar bear population is declining and substantially. It, it's not a little bit. So one of the researchers, Andrew DeRoche, is actually based in your neck of the woods in Edmonton at the University of Alberta. And he has studied polar bears in the Western, West, sorry, in the Western Hudson Bay area uh, since 1984. And his 1987 count of polar bears was 1,185. And so since then, it has fallen by 32%. And his latest count was in 2011. So it could have fallen even more since then. And his last count was 806 bears. But his principal concern is that while this slow degrading of the population is happening, it, there could also be a very bad year. And it's something that he's watched happen in other parts of the world with other polar bear populations where they have an incredibly bad year and they'll lose 30% of the population just bam in one year. And mm. that hasn't happened in the Churchill area yet, but he is concerned it will happen one day. They've already lost about a month of sea ice cover on average uh, in the last few decades. And this is something I, I feel stupid not having known it, but the problem for polar bears is that when they come on land, when there's no ice, is they fast. They don't eat anything consequential um, when they're on land. And so every day that they're off the sea ice, they're losing a kilogram of their body weight. And the number of days that, uh, that the sea ice cover isn't there, it used to be in the 130 to 150 range, but now it's a median of 155. And so it's just going up and up and up. And occasionally a year will be 180 days where they're on land. So that's 180 kilograms of weight that they have to carry onto land. And that means that survivability is just going down. The old ones and the young ones are dying. There are fewer young that are surviving. And uh, it just means that a slow degradation of the population is happening. And there's not much that can really be done to stop it unless we actually stop climate change from melting sea ice. So Sarah, connect the dots for us here. What does this all have to do with feeding polar bears? Typically what a polar bear is doing out there is it's eating seals. It's out on the sea ice eating seals. Seals are much harder for them to hunt and catch and eat uh, if they are not on the ice surface. So like once they're, once it's open water, it's game over for seal hunting for them and they come on land and they'll scavenge a bit. It's not that they don't, but they're not hunting seals anymore. And to give you an idea of how important a seal is, it takes one and a half caribou to reach the same threshold of calorie count. So, and it's not exactly like they're built to catch caribou. That's not their primary food source. So, so they come on land, they basically don't eat as soon as the ice melts. And so the number of days without ice that we're asking them to stay on land, asking them to starve themselves, it's, um, it, it, it just, it means that they get more sickly. It means that they're in towns more. It means that they're, you have more quote unquote problem bears. So it also has an impact on the human population in that they have more starving polar bears that are now entering towns. And this is becoming a problem for people now. When you say it's a uh, problem polar bears and you've got starving uh, animals, I would 
to my mind, I would think that they would become that these polar bears that are coming more that are coming closer to town, more uh, into town. There, it speaks to their desperation. Is that is that right? That's yeah. Uh, at least according to the researchers, I am obviously not a polar bear expert, but according right. to the research, this is what they were telling me, and they are monitoring um, habits of problem bears to try and understand. <clears throat> excuse me more of what it is that's driving them and what communities they're coming into. They're, they're watching all of that. Um, but certainly mm-hmm. the hungrier they are, the more desperate they are, the more likely they're going to try and scavenge food where it smells good, which is, you know, urban centers, even if the urban centers are small. What about land animals? I know you've uh, talked about uh, various fox population and how that's played out into some of the reporting you did. I looked at foxes um, because it's it's not an incredibly important, uh, I don't know how you classify animals as important or not important. I guess in my mind, it's, it's not something that people will naturally be drawn to, to talk about foxes, I guess is what I mean to say. And But watching the fox populations, it used to be Arctic foxes exclusively up there. And now increasingly you're seeing red foxes come in and take over the same region that used to be traditional Arctic fox population territory. And that is shifting because of the temperature and because Mm. of the northern growth of uh, boreal habitat and the shifting of rodents. So instead of seeing lemmings, they're seeing meadow voles, which is like really inconsequential to most people, I would say. But the fact that there's a shift in the rodents means there's a shift in the foxes. The shift in the foxes means there's, uh, n- you know, new trends in trapping. So that impacts the community. Like it, looking at the fox population was more important than the foxes themselves. It was about looking at the food chain and looking at the food network and looking at how the entire ecosystem in and around Churchill is changing. And that is happening already. It's not like this is happening years from now. We're watching it in real time happening now. And researchers there are are really trying to dig into specific species and it's neat to get to report on this right now because they're still trying to figure it out like this is all in the moment happening every day is kind of a new a new discovery for them and that's fantastic and it was a big part of why going up to Churchill was important because it's such a research hub and all we normally talk about is polar bears and the depth of knowledge of the experts up there is incredible. You said that this is that that the changes in the fox population is impacting um, the uh, indigenous uh, peoples that are there. I imagine ditto uh, uh, polar bears and seals. But tell me more about how uh, these changes in in northern Manitoba, in and around Churchill, uh, are affecting. Uh, the, you know, the indigenous folks up there. It's every, it, it's every species of animal. And this was, I, I asked one of the researchers, I was like, what, what animal is like the most important or, you know, that people don't know about that's changing. And they were like, there is no animal that doesn't have changes coming because of climate change right now. Um, so in one of the indigenous communities, um, the Sacy Dene near Tadouli Lake. It's very far north uh, west of Churchill. Um, and that community has relied on caribou for the entirety of its you know, documented existence. But caribou have shifting migration patterns and stuff right now and declining numbers. 
And so they rely on, on currently the healthiest population of caribou in the country, but numbers are declining, range is changing. This means when they go hunting, where they go hunting, the accessibility of hunting is all changing. And when they have to travel really far distances to hunt these animals, it means you know, you need technology, you need to be able to get there, you need to have either, you know, a snowmobile or a quad, or you need to be able to fly into a different community to like, it, it's becoming very inaccessible. And as hunting of an animal that they've come to rely on becomes more difficult, it means that increasingly the community is relying more and more on grocery store food, which is ever expensive in the north and it means that like all of a sudden it's having health implications in the community increasing uh levels of diabetes the uh grand chief uh of manitoba kuitnawi okimakinak sorry i always struggle with that one uh but grand chief garrison seti uh represents 26 northern first nations and he's already concerned about the fact that climate change is having such a significant impact on hunting people are leaving these communities. There have been so many obstacles to staying there already. So when you make hunting traditional uh, food sources any more difficult, it just adds one more thing that convinces people they don't want to stay there. And then they're going to urban centers like Thompson, which don't have the proper, uh, the proper um, social networks to set up uh, people like that who are, who are coming to urban centers looking for opportunity, but instead instead are falling through the cracks. And so he's, he's increasingly worried. He says we are not prepared and it's something that we're already seeing. So it's, it's everything. It's every species of animal. It's every aspect of life. It's, it's everything. Did you have any, and you'll, you'll pardon me if I'm using uh, incorrect terms, but any elders in any of those Denny communities speak to what it's, what the loss and change of these animals are doing to their culture. Yes. So Ernie uh, Bussador is a former chief of the Stacey Dene uh, near to Dooley Lake. And he's an elder and a community leader. And he talked about going on one of these uh, hunting trips and he actually went in North to none of it. And he watched, he, he recounted a story of how he watched the caribou running in a circle, like a cyclone. And he said it was devastating because he watched these animals in complete desperation because the reason they were doing that as best he can figure is to escape the, um, the flies and the other pests because their migration patterns are changing at the same time that insects are, are coming in that aren't traditionally there at the same time. They're increasing in numbers. So these pests are like, they're really nasty. They burrow into the caribou skin and they stay there. And so in order to try and, you know, get rid of these flies, uh, they were spinning like a, he, he called it like a vacuum, like it was like spinning in a circle. Oh, and wow. he, he said it was devastating to watch these animals be so desperate. And he says he sees it when they, when they harvest a caribou that he can see all of these flies in their skin. And it, again, it's not that these flies didn't exist before. It's that there's more of them. It's that the caribou are in a different place than they used to be in their migration. And it's just getting worse and worse for them. And so he talked about how devastating that is that he's watching this happen to an animal that is like spiritually, spiritually connected to their community. 
And it's, it's about more than just food to him. And uh, interestingly enough, like he has led a coalition of indigenous members to create the, uh, the Seal River Watershed Indigenous Protected Area. And so that's, that's one of the ways that they're trying to make things better. And the federal government is trying to help them in that endeavor. But as good as that is, it's not going to save the caribou. It's, it's not. Um, it is a step in the right direction, but it's, it's not a solution to the problem in its entirety. And Sarah, how, how have the changes affected the town of Churchill? We talked about it at the beginning of this. Churchill is perhaps most famous for its natural tourism. It's definitely something that like tourism operators in the town are already starting to think about. Um, multiple tourism operators talked about how they're getting out of the exclusive polar bear business because they see a day where that won't be a sustainable business anymore. So this means more investment in things like um, boat tours with belugas and stuff like that. Uh, But Churchill has an interesting economic history where it's gone from one boom cycle to the next boom cycle on, on various different things. Like during the cold war, it was, you know, an an army hub. Um, And then it's gone through a couple other shipping cycles and other things like that. You know, at one point it was a hub for the fur trade. Like it's had a lot of economic lives, but this seems to be the next thing that will present a very big obstacle because tourism has become a big part of the industry there. And if the thing you have come to rely on polar bears all of a sudden isn't there or isn't there in the numbers that you need it in order to sell, you know, seats on a plane anymore, that could be really devastating. And I think how much the town relies on tourism became evident this year when people stopped being able to travel there inter- from international destinations. You mentioned this earlier, uh, and I, 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 I want to uh, dig in a bit further, not only because of my, my love of the Rafi song, but belugas. Um, <laughs> the, uh, how do belugas play into uh, Churchill? Uh, you mentioned you know, increased tours of of that, but I but I imagine that that this climate change uh, over the past decades or has impacted belugas. Uh, step us through that. There's a number of um, beluga populations throughout the country, but this is the biggest. Um, this is I want to say it's 55,000 animals. Like it's incredible, wow. and it is one of the best preserved populations to date. Uh, The concern is that with increased shipping or with increased tourism, that this population of belugas could actually be put at risk because like the port is based in the estuary that they come to molt and calf and do all of those things. So yeah, is that going to become a problem? Researchers actually don't know. This is research that is going on right now. And um, they put this microphone underwater and it's called a hydrophone. And one of the researchers is using the sounds because when you listen to it, it's, oh, it's incredible. It's like. I don't know. I I mean, I have a love of animals, but hearing hearing them underneath the water is just something so special and they're able to use the hydrophones underwater to triangulate how they're moving in relation to both tourist crafts as well as 
shipping boats. And so they need to know what's changing, if there's practices we can take as humans to adapt so that we bother them a little bit less. Um, but it's, it's largely unknown. And climate change poses a lot of risks for them because, and, and just changes. Some, some of it's not risk, right? But uh, they migrate from that little estuary around Churchill. They don't stay there all year. They go north. But they do that when the ice melts and when it thaws. And so inevitably, they're going to change their behavior. We just don't exactly know how yet. Uh, the other thing, which is, okay, I'm going to call it cool, but it's also not cool um, because orcas are increasingly coming into the Western Hudson Bay and right. orcas apparently really love to eat beluga whales, which is crazy to me, but Hey, um, circle of life, I suppose. And so researchers are trying to understand how that's going to change. If there's going to be an increasing population of orcas in Western Hudson Bay, which is not where they would traditionally be. So it's, it's all very cool. It's every, I try to explain this to people. It's every aspect of everything is going to change because Churchill has already warmed by more than two degrees Celsius. And if we keep warming at the same rate unabated, they're headed for five degrees of warming plus. Uh, and that's only by 2080. So when you consider that this is how much is happening at two degrees, it's hard to actually imagine or fathom what that would mean if we let the world warm that much. This is Why is produced by me, Dave McIver, and Adam Toy. It's a national radio show and a podcast. You can reach us by email, thisiswhy at globalnews.ca and on Twitter at thisiswhy. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, make sure you subscribe to This Is Why so you never miss an episode. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend. Thanks for listening. Wash your hands, wear a mask, stay home, and get a shot if you can. We'll see you soon.